fans around the world watched the video, but no one paid more attention than Ira Tolles. I texted my sister and said to my sister, I think that's the guy that shot me. Community activist Michelle Gross also was quick to recognize the officer kneeling on George Floyd's neck. I saw him, I said, I think that's Derek Chauvin. Oh, no. Despite a long record of brutality complaints, Derek Chauvin was still on the job and even received a Medal of Valor. This was the, um, the logical and sad outcome of allowing officers to act with impunity. Plus, a full year now since the COVID-19 pandemic afflicted the world. Dr. William Schefter came on our program to warn back then of what was to come. Next big surge that I anticipate will come in the late fall and early winter. We'll check in tonight to see what the next year holds. And this week's winners and losers in the media. See if you agree with the choices made by the editors of Media. About how dark your baby is going to be? From the Law and Crime Trial Network, this is Brian Ross Investigates. Good evening and thank you for joining us and welcome to our viewers on Facebook Live. I'm Brian Ross, joined tonight by my colleague, as always, Rhonda Schwartz. And Rhonda, we begin with the trial of the Minneapolis police officer accused in the murder of George Floyd. His name is Derek Chauvin, and as a jury will learn whenever it is seated, he is an officer who has faced brutality complaints again and again from people who had the misfortune of running up against him, Rhonda. That's right. Derek Chauvin has a long history of police brutality complaints, but has faced very few consequences so far. So perhaps it was no surprise that a lot of people recognized him in that notorious video that was shown around the world. Clearest picture yet of what led up to the deadly confrontation. In the death of George Floyd, the unarmed black man in Minneapolis who died in police custody. He can be heard on the video saying, I can't breathe. What became some of George Floyd's final moments? And again, a warning, some of what you're about to see may be considered graphic. Of the millions of people who watched the George Floyd video. He I cannot no one was paying more attention to the actions of Officer Derek Chauvin than Ira Tolles. I texted my sister and said to my sister, I think that's the guy that shot me. Indeed it was. Tolles had been shot seven years earlier by Officer Chauvin as he and other officers responded to a domestic dispute. All I know is he kicked down my front door. I ran into the bathroom. He kicked in the bathroom door. I stood up and then he just started hitting me. After he started hitting me, I got shot and he tried to walk me through the apartment and I couldn't walk anymore. He later claimed you were trying to go for his gun. Yeah, yeah. I read that when I was, I did a couple of days in jail because they dropped the charges. But um, yeah, found out that uh, he said that I tried to take his gun from him. Was that true? Hell no. And Tolls was far from the only person to recognize Officer Chauvin in the video. I saw him, I said, I think that's Derek Chauvin. Oh, no. But then I heard somebody in the video shout out a badge number. Bro, they bro, was you 1087, bro? You're a oh bro, my bro. God. So I pulled up my badge number list of Minneapolis police and confirmed that that was, in fact, Derek Chauvin. Michelle Gross is the founder and president of a Minneapolis group called Community Action Against Police Brutality. She was not surprised to see Derek Chauvin using a long band technique to hold George Floyd on the ground. 
Well, it wasn't a surprise because I knew of him because he was a bad actor for a long time. Um, he has been um, a, a problem officer for a very long time, and so his name was well known to us. And Minneapolis Police Department records show Officer Chauvin was the subject of at least 18 complaints involving police brutality, along with other internal investigations. In all but a few cases, no action was taken against him. It said to me that um, all of the times that people had complained about his conduct and that he had been given a free pass, this was the culmination of that. You know, it's what you see when there are no consequences for bad conduct. And we have a real problem in Minneapolis because we don't hold police accountable. And again, this was the, um, the logical and sad outcome of allowing officers to act with impunity. Ira Tolls never filed a formal complaint against Chauvin after he was shot by him. I tried to, but back then we didn't have Google and computers and smartphones like we did. I had a Blackberry at the time. It was not that good, but um, yeah, so I didn't know what to do. I was 21 years old. I didn't know what to do. Um, I did try to seek legal aid, but I was going to the wrong type of defenders. So I didn't know there was a difference. <laughs> and Tolles has since learned that Chauvin was given the department's Medal of Valor for his handling of the incident. Are you angry about all this? I'm very angry. I'm very angry. I'm angry at the whole system. Um, and angry that he didn't have to announce himself, uh, give me any commands, tell me any, tell me to get on the ground. Um, he just started hitting me and then shot me. That's what I'm mad about. I'm mad that he's able to do that and get away with it. And then get a promotion or get a award. Tolls, who has since been convicted of at least two felonies involving domestic abuse, says the initial incident with Chauvin led him down a bad path. For you, what will be justice in this case? Um... I'm a God-fearing man. I believe in forgiveness and stuff like that, but also believe in accountability. Everything I did in my life, I had to be accountable for, so he has to be accountable for it also. Prosecutors say they intend to call as witnesses at least two people who say Chauvin used the same knee-to-neck technique on them in previous years. New first-hand accounts that former officer Derek Chauvin, who was seen with his knee on Floyd's neck for more than eight minutes, had acted with that same kind of force before. For Michelle Gross, justice will mean more than just a day of reckoning for Derek Chauvin. So I say indict, convict, send that killer to jail. The whole damn system is guilty as hell. The reality is that we have a lot of officers that engage in similar conduct and have had no consequences whatsoever, including officers who have killed people. And so, um, you know, our city has made not one single change to address our policing problem since George Floyd was killed. And the same goes, frankly, with our state legislature. You plan to closely follow the trial? Without question. Um, I, it will, if we have a prosecution in this case, a successful prosecution, rather, um, we, it will be, again, only the second time a police officer has been successfully prosecuted for killing a member of the community, and it'll be the first time that a white officer has. So we are watching this closely. Michelle Gross, thank you so much for being with us here tonight. Thank you again for having me. We're joined now by Chief Mitchell Davis of Hazelcrest, Illinois, a board member of the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives 
And Chief, as you see the reports there from Minneapolis, the question is accountability, not just for this one officer, but for the department. He had so many complaints against him, but no real action taken. Yes, sir. Um, you know, it's systemic. So uh, that, that's what it goes to show is that there's challenges from the top down that need to be addressed. And it's, the, it's within the culture of the police department. And, uh, you know, when, when officers uh, are subjected to, to folks claiming that there's things that they've done, they need to be properly investigated. Uh, there needs to be due process for the officers, absolutely. But there needs to be some accountability and systems have to be in place to allow that process to be played out so that true a true finding or true meaning happens at the end of everything. This must be so troubling for members of your organization, the black uh, police, the law enforcement executives. When you see this, you know what's going on and you see nothing happening. How troubling is that for you? Well, police officers in general but especially uh, black police officers, we, we bring a, a different lens. And it's, it's not that our lens is, is better, it's just different. It's just a different vantage point because most of us have had uh, personal experiences, obviously not to that extreme, but most of us have had our own personal experiences as it relates to law enforcement. You know, I think I, I might have mentioned it before when I was here that my two worst experiences with law enforcement were both when I was police officers. And in both instances, they knew I was a police officer and it stopped nothing for, as far as what they were doing, as far as disrespecting me and violating my rights. Hmm. Chief Davis, a question for you from Rhonda Schwartz. Rhonda? Chief Davis, you've been a, a chief and you're in a lot of different organizations at high levels. What can be done? What are the next steps? There's obviously tremendous community unrest about this, but from the law enforcement officers, what, what is being discussed about how to, what to, go, how to go forward? So there's a lot of fear in law enforcement now, um, you know, and, and it's kind of, it's giving me a different viewpoint of, of, of my profession and folks that are in my profession in that there's a lot of people that, that say that they want change, they want to make things better, but when actually there's time to implement change, some folks are reluctant. You know, change is uncomfortable and growth is uncomfortable. And, and oftentimes in law enforcement, especially when that change is being demanded from the community, it really makes law enforcement uncomfortable. And, and with that being said, it just makes it scary for a lot of folks. But we as, as, as black law enforcement executives, uh, once again, our personal experiences tell us that, you know, that these things are real. They've happened to us. They happen to people that we know. And, you know, we're not talking about 50 years ago. We're talking about things that happen now. And, and, they, and they happen to us in spite of who we are. So we understand and we know that they do happen in the community in general. Chief, with all of that, have you ever thought about just throwing up your hands and giving up, going into a different line of work? You know what? That would be the easy way out. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a man that of God, and I believe that uh, this is my ministry. You know, I believe God has put me in this place to tell my story and to share my experiences to help to, to move things forward. Uh, you know, often folks think that because when they hear the word reform, people talk about reform often in law enforcement it's often seen as people don't like the police folks in high crime communities uh people of color we want they want the police in the community 
They want us there, but they want good policing done. They don't want policing at any cost. They want good policing and good officers there. So reform is not a bad thing. Reform, by definition, is change for the better. And it's, it's not a bad thing, and that's what law enforcement needs to realize, that we've got to come together and make positive change and move forward so that we serve those folks that are asking for our, our, our service properly. All right, Chief Mitchell Davis from the Black Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. Thank you so much for being here tonight. We appreciate it very much. Thank you, sir. Coming up next, one year since the pandemic lockdown hit this country. We're joined by Dr. William Schaffner, one of the country's leading experts on infectious disease with what to look forward for the next year. You're watching Brian Ross Investigates the Law and Crime Trial Network. of Americans now getting their COVID-19 vaccinations. It's a sign of real hope and optimism celebrated around the world and across the country, including by Dolly Parton, who before getting her shot, broke into song. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. I'm begging of you, please don't hesitate. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. Because once you're dead, then that's a bit too late. <laughs> We're joined now by Dr. William Schaffner. And Dr. Schaffner, she actually got her shot from one of your colleagues at Vanderbilt. Brian, that's exactly right. She's absolutely charming and she was wonderfully on message. She did get her vaccine recently right here at Vanderbilt. We were proud to give it to her and we want everyone else to listen to her message. Get the vaccine when it's your turn. Roll up that sleeve. We're making progress. What's next for this year, do you think, Doctor? Well, uh, next year has its uncertainties, but there is light at the end of the tunnel that's getting brighter. We are getting vaccinated and more you, and more and more. And do you see stumbling blocks ahead, though, with those? Yeah. With, do you see stumbling blocks ahead, Dr. Schaffner? Yeah. My concern, of course, are two things. One is that there are a fair number of people out there who are still very hesitant to get their vaccines. So we need to reassure them. And many of those people are members of our minority communities, our ethnic communities. So we need to reach out to them because they've been hesitant. And of course, the other thing is the virus, those variants. Are we going to have new variants that evade our, our vaccines protection? Hasn't happened yet. But we've got our eye on that. And what's your concern there? Because you really know about this. These variants do occur, right? It's kind of a race to get vaccinated before that happens. We want to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible. You know, the variants occur when the virus mutates. And the virus mutates when it multiplies. It gets into a new person and begins to multiply. That gives it an opportunity to create mutations that result in variants. So we want to reduce the opportunities for the virus to multiply. Let's all get vaccinated as quickly as possible, and then cases will go down, and I think those variants will go to the side. 
You were one of the first on this program to predict that surge we saw in the fall and the winter. Is there another surge coming, do you think? Is that likely or possible? Well, it's interesting you ask right at this time because there are a number of states that have removed the mask mandates, and we have spring break. Lots of young people getting together for prolonged periods of time. They could spread the virus among them, go back to their homes, and set up little mini outbreaks all across the country. I hope that won't happen, but it's the sort of thing we need to avoid for a while. We need to keep being careful while we're vaccinating. You saw President Biden refer to those who took the masks off and changed the regulations, lifted them as Neanderthals. Would you agree with that? Well, I wouldn't do that. But wearing a mask is inexpensive, it's easy, and it's wonderfully effective. That ought to be the last thing we take away while we open up our commerce, our entertainment, our culture carefully, please. All right. Dr. William Schaffner from Vanderbilt University, one of the country's top experts on infectious disease. Always great to have you on the program for the last year. Thank you so much again for being here tonight. Good to be with you, Brian. Coming up next, this week's winners and losers in the media. See if you agree with the choices made by the editors of Mediate about Oprah and her great interview. You're watching Brian Ross Investigates on the Law and Crime Trial Network. now with this week's winners and losers in the media as chosen by the editors of Mediate. And we're joined now by the editor-in-chief of Mediate, Aidan McLaughlin. Mediate, which like the Law and Crime Trial Network, is part of the Dan Abrams Media Company. Aidan, we begin with your winner, Oprah Winfrey, for her bombshell interview with Harry and Meghan on CBS, 17 million viewers and headlines around the world. And also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. What? And who who is having that conversation with hmm. Aiden, the Washington Post, the columnist Margaret Sullivan called Oprah the greatest celebrity interview ever. What do you make of that? <laughs> I saw, yeah. She said uh, it, it could be the best interview since Frost Nixon. Um, which is, I mean, Oprah Winfrey is getting <laughs> high plaudits for uh, this interview. Um, it was a pretty spectacular one. It lasted two hours. Uh, it was an, a special that aired on CBS, as you said. It got 17 million viewers, um, which is, you know, perhaps not as large as, I guess, some of the uh, Trump interviews that we've had in recent years, um, but is the biggest audience for an entertainment broadcast that we've had uh, since last year's Academy Awards, as CBS proudly boasted in a press release today. Um, and I think it's with good reason. Oprah uh, had a series of incredibly impressive uh, moments throughout the two-hour special. Um, she asked the right questions and then followed up uh, directly and elicited a, a number of newsworthy moments, uh, including Meghan Markle uh, revealing that she had suicidal thoughts. Um, and as well as, you know, the, the good thing about this Oprah interview is that when she asked these questions, she really followed up to elicit more information out of them. Um, I loved at one point when Prince Harry said that he felt trapped within the royal family, and she said, you know, tell me how a literal prince born into privilege 
felt trapped. Um, and it really got the desire to open up. Um, so I think it was a very impressive interview, and, and she's clearly getting uh, applauded for it. And she's a celebrity herself doing an interview with two celebrities. Uh, was it easy for her, do you think, or are challenges here? Well, you know, I think Oprah is one of those uh, celebrities that, you know, she's known on a, on a first-name basis. Um, which I think probably helped her a, a significant amount. You know, I, I would be a little bit more nervous probably going into an interview with uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. Um, she lives right down the road from them. That probably helps with uh, with interviewing them. Um, but still, you know, there have been a lot of celebrity interviews recently done by people like Oprah. Um, this one was really, really stood out and is, you know, getting even sort of cynics like uh, Margaret Sullivan of uh, Washington Post to declare it one of the best celebrity interviews of all time. All right, and quickly, this week's loser, tell me who that is. Kaylee McEnany just signed up as a contributor for Fox News. Now, he had initially uh, signed up for Fox News as a contributor in January, uh, but they then denied uh, that she was signing on and said that they actually had pushed uh, the discussions they were having with her, uh, presumably in light of the attack on the Capitol uh, that her boss, President Donald Trump, uh, had inspired. So... She eventually, Fox News announced that she had joined the Fox family after initially having denied hired her, hiring her. Uh, the fact remains that she spent uh, weeks on Fox pushing the uh, fantasy that Trump actually won the election, um, which is certainly not a good look for uh, the network um, hiring someone, you know, the news network and they're hiring someone who's known for pushing a lie. Uh, so I, I don't think a good uh, start for Kaylee McEnany in her media career. Absolutely not. All right, Aidan McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Mediate, thank you so much for Winners and Losers. And thanks to all of you for joining us here on Brian Ross Investigates. We'll see you again next week. And thanks to the great team getting us on the air and off the air so successfully.